0: Welcome to Supex Radio, a podcast devoted to startup and early-stage entrepreneurship, angel and venture capital investing, technology, and small businesses in general. You can find Supex Radio in the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud by searching for Supex Radio. That's S-U-P-X Radio. And also, please remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Supex. That's at T-H-E-S-U-P-X I'm your host, Bob Fitz, and our guest today is serial entrepreneur and friend, Chad Fulkening. Chad, welcome to Supex Radio.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me on, Bob.
0: Uh, So you've had an interesting career, Chad. You were a a real estate guy, and then you got into the domain name brokerage business, and I know that's a term that you don't really uh, enjoy, Uh, and we can talk about that later, but how did that transition come about?
1: Uh, well, I've always been in real estate when I was a younger kid, I had a company called student services. Uh, so we serviced the real estate market, uh, into that. And so we actually came about acquiring domains back in 1996 as a real estate play. Um, that's evolved over time. And so we, 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 We've been an asset owner for a long time. Uh, and then what we did is we had a technology platform that we created. Uh, we merged with another company up here in Delray Beach to form a development company. And then out of that, we we, we spun out the broker's division. Uh, and we did become the largest outbound broker's company in the world before we sold to Flippin' 99 Designs uh, about three years ago, two years ago.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see the, the parallels between real estate development and the domain management business. I guess you're planting your flag, so to speak, in a lot, speak in a lot of areas. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's a digital asset online, that's similar to real estate. Um,
1: and so we saw that market opportunity there uh, to be really uh, the premium the premium brokerage brand in the world. So, and which we did, we executed on that. And we just wanted to be out of the business because it was a service based business. Mm hmm. And the and we're more of a technology driven company, so we uh, had the right opportunity and we liquidated it. Uh, so now we're
0: we're back in the development business. So you were in the domain brokerage business for about 18 years. We're completely exiting, and uh, and you were doing other things simultaneously too. Uh, what is Ecor? I know that I'm going to ask you about a bunch of your businesses because you got a bunch of them, and you've they've a lot of them been going on at the same time for a number of years. But what is E-Corp?
1: Well, E Corp has evolved um, over the 18 years, um, and now I'm the lead, lead developer on that. And so, what has evolved? It was our was the parent company, but now we're actually turning that into a business model. Like, have you ever heard of an S Corp, a C Corp, a B Corp, Yep. Um, an LLC, right? And so, with with we never thought that we thought the governments change business models, right, or create new business entities. And then we, then we heard of the B corporation and there was only four companies using the B corporation structure. And so that kind of got my light bulbs going and said, I started talking with some other people to say, you know, this asset is in the, uh, in the pool. Can we use it to really develop this into something more? And so we actually are moving that forward to create a new business entity class for digital assets, similar to an S corp, B corp, C corp, um, and that's the three to five year plan and really trying to utilize that as a new business entity model for digital assets. So it's an evolution um, into more of a platform structure.
0: And what, so, and what is BidSelect?
1: Uh, I co onto that 2011 with John Ferber. That was the merger between John's custom development company, SEO company, and our platform uh, or development platform. And we formed that company to merge into Bidtelect now, which is now pivoted into the one of the largest native ad exchanges in the world, uh, doing about ten billion native auctions a day.
0: And so, lately, you've uh, I know an enthusiasm for yours has been getting into cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Uh, what are you guys doing there? And is that through eCorp or Bidtelect or another platform? Or all Bid of Collect- the above?
1: Yeah, well, no, BidTelect, I've been out of BidTelect for about a year and a half now. Okay. Um, once we sold the brokers division, uh, that's up and running with you know 80 people, uh, millions of dollars in revenue, et cetera. And I'm more of a startup guy. Um, I help get startups going, launched. Once we have more than 20, 30 people, it kind of um, it's out of my specialty, and it's no, it's no longer that much fun for me. Uh, so no, th- we've been in the crypto space for forever. Um, The reason why we know this is because we've owned digitalcurrency.com.net since 1999. Um, When people talk about the digital economy, we've owned digital economy since 1999. Uh, And there's a reason why we own um, one of the largest chain portfolios in the world, like mortgagechain.com, realtychain.com, servicechain.com, equitychain.com, is because blockchain technology isn't new. It's been evolving since p2p is really was created 1999 2000 so for us it's it's really more we've been patient sitting back waiting for the technology and the markets to evolve around the technology to really kind of come to market so for us we've 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 always been in the space we just have never chosen to exploit that or probably promote it because the timing was was not right and so now with the with the Growth of what we've seen since really February, when the crypto market shot up, um, we've been we've been in that space for many many years. Um, so for us, we're just now uh, you know, we're the train has left and we're on the we're on the rocket ship up. We're trying to kind of get back on the saddle because it moved so fast, um, so far so fast. So for us, you know, again, it's it's one of those platform evolutions that we've seen in 22 years of tech. This is only about the third. Technology that we've seen in 22 years that are really going to move all, every industry uh, forward, and that's why we're 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 100% focused on it.
0: Sounds like you got to start in it way earlier than people even even knew what it was, even for you know kind of first movers if you were getting involved in '99. But what exactly is it that you're doing around the space now?
1: Uh, well, we're the first company to move block, uh, cap table on the blockchain. Uh, so now ownership transparency is full, um, available on the blockchain. Uh, and now we're, we're successfully doing that Uh, very well. Now we're, we're excited about that. Um, we are building our own blockchain. Now, uh, we run the Ethereum meetup groups in Harris, South Florida Been looking at smart contract, uh, and platform. And, you know, now they're a hundred billion dollar, um, currency. Uh, and so we think we've been designing our infrastructure uh, to really both take advantage of those other existing platforms and then start creating our own blockchain, which is what we're doing right now.
0: So I'm an, a novice in my understanding of the of cryptocurrencies, and blockchain I think I understand a little bit better. Uh, it, I guess it's simpler in some ways to understand. So some of my questions will reflect that in, ignorance, but I'm not sure that everyone in the audience is uh, anywhere close to being an expert like you. So if you'll bear with me, and we'll start basically, and then you can elaborate as much as you want if that's okay. Sounds good. Um, so, I see the long-term value created from a secure transaction environment, uh, which is basically what blockchain is, essentially correct. I mean, um, but what's more difficult for me to understand are really cryptocurrencies. Um, I understand that people can agree to create any currency they want. I mean, I mean, prisoners have had you know cigarettes, ramen noodles, other things for currencies forever. Is just a one example. But what's more curious to me about cryptocurrencies are the political aspects of it. Um, what prevents threatened political entities from simply outlawing these new currency competitors in a way? I mean, we've seen some brushes with uh, South Korea, uh, Korea in the past week. Um, is is my concern a valid one or is it just reflect my lack of knowledge of what's really going on?
1: Well, I- well, you know, sort of, uh, well, Venezuela is trying to create their own cryptocurrency around oil, right? And so that's a dictatorship moving into the crypto space. Right. Um, look, it, it comes down to connectivity. If you have connectivity and you have a browser, you have access. It, it, it's going to be hard, <clears throat> excuse me, to stop uh, the decentralized systems from where they're moving to. And so uh, dictatorships can and will try to enforce their regime and their power um but again if they have internet access uh then that's all you pretty much need they're gonna have to start doing a lot more to to suppress their um their community uh because now again we've already seen the shift happen to the right to where once more people can transact and get the things that they need um then they'll they'll move right to the cryptocurrency space and they already are and most people understand that the united states is one of the top is the top i believe but it's also all these other countries are really the ones that are participating in the crypto space. South Korea, China, Asia, you know, South America, even there's there's a lot of it's a global phenomenon. It's not one that it's specific to one country, one currency, and that's the beauty of what's happening is it's um, it's giving everybody their ability to make their own decisions. And so uh, so the suppression by uh, creating a currency with a dictatorship that is probably almost doomed to fail because you still have to have participation in it and so you can create anybody so anything that anything that has value that can be measured will be a currency so i use that quote a lot anything that has value that can be measured can be a currency and so even if i create my own currency it doesn't matter if nobody uses it it doesn't really matter and so if these dictators force people to use it that's one thing, but if they have other options to use, then, then it, again, there won't be any usage. So it's a novel approach that dictators are trying to do, but I don't think it's going to succeed.
0: Well, I, I get the piece about Venezuelan dictators. I, I guess my point was slightly different, and that is, is if, you know, if uh, political entities that have their own currencies don't want competing uh, digital currencies, they can simply just outlaw them, can't they? Am, am, am I wrong in thinking this, or is that just really ignorant?
1: Well, no, it's decentralized. So again, uh, we do have dictatorships. It's called the dollar. It's called every fiat is technically uh, controlled by uh, uh, by a government organization that manages the supply and demand, manages the supply of distribution of a currency, right? For I'm not necessarily gung ho on Bitcoin, but it does have the supply-demand metrics, a limited supply, and a distributed system, right? So uh, in a global marketplace, and so. We do already have that example. It's called the fiat. Just putting out digital doesn't necessarily mean it's going to succeed. But again, when it's distributed, you can only choke hold what you can control. And so you you, you, you cut the choke off the head off of one snake. There's going to be 10 other going to pop up. And so that's a distributed system. It's it's We're going to distribute energy. We're going to distribute currency. We're going to distributed ownership. Uh, and so that's what I don't think governments understand is they're used to a a, a siloed um, controlling mechanism, not a distributed shared
0: environment. And that
1: that that is out of the bag now. That's that's not something you put back in.
0: When South Korea threatened to outlaw cryptocurrencies last week, it led to a 20 percent drop in the market overall, maybe certain different varied by different currencies. And then it appears now that what they've said instead is that they're going to push for transparency, uh, which seems to mean that a a large government is going to permit it, and they're pushing for transparency requirements. Any thoughts on that, what happened this past week, and where it's kind of looking like it's headed?
1: Yeah, look, I think people are running scared, personally. Um, When they start seeing their control uh, start getting – influenced by new technologies, you get scared. You don't know how to make reactions. So again, you can make the action, but then when you get the reaction that isn't in your favor, you have to look at how do you want to comply with the new movement, right? It's just, so it's, it's. I think this is where like people like philosophers and stuff are really going to be in demand because if you don't understand human behavior, you understand you don't want to, this isn't something you want to suppress. This is something you want to adapt and, and, and evolve into and with. And so I think that's what those countries like South Korea, they had to make a move because with the good stuff also comes the bad stuff. Right. And so there's been a lot of bad stuff and there's still a lot of bad stuff of people trying to steal people's money by false information. And so, and so I think South Korea made the move um, just because there was, they're seeing a lot of activity that they weren't participating in and a lot of activity that was coming out of South Korea. And so for them, they had, they they made a move. um, I think, They realized that it wasn't necessarily the right one. And they kind of changed their story up to let's open transparency and let's help see if we can embrace it. And so, and and I think that's what new markets usually happens, right? You, when you're first to market or you're in a new market, there's no case law. There's no, um, really playbook to really play off of, you know? So I think that's what's happening is people are starting to think what they need to do and they're going to have to adjust according to the marketplace, so, and then, hey, you know, death by, I think China, it's, it's your penalty is death, right? So, if you're changing on the exchanges and now it's your, your, your penalty is death, that's going to change a lot of things up. But a lot of people aren't talking about when China banned the crypto trader or, or the mining rigs of Bitcoin, that was a huge thing because China owned 51% of the hash rate of the Bitcoin. And then when China cut off the miners, <clears throat> that shifted the economics to... Uh, Washington to these other energy conservative countries or areas. And so that was a big move that a lot of people aren't talking about. Um, But then they started realizing we're losing a ton of money because all the energy now. And so uh, I think we're in a trial and error period. And I think that's what governments are still into. They're in a trial and error period.
0: Last comment. I'm curious to hear what you think about. You know, I I read in Bloomberg that yeah, approximately a thousand people own about forty percent of all cryptocurrencies. What does that say about the market, if anything?
1: Uh, well, most things start as centralized, uh, and then most things eventually kind of can go to decentralized. And I think if those thousand people are the ones willing to put back to build the infrastructure up to make their wealth go up, that that's that that has to be what. That, that's the only way for us to succeed long term. And I think what you're starting to see, you are starting to see, you to see like Joe Lubin with Ethereum, and you're starting to see Brock Pierce and these other people, they're doubling down in their investments. So they're repurposing that value creation back into the system and the ecosystem. That's, that's a really, really critical factor. Um, and that's why some of these, um, standardizations are starting to pop out. I.e., if you're doing an ICO, you shouldn't need to raise more than 30 million bucks. Because save the other stuff for somebody else that might have a novel idea. Um, And so those are the things that are starting to kind of come out. And so while those thousand people roughly control a significant amount of wealth, um, they are redistributing it back in. But then again, that also gives the opportunity now to create new things that have never been created that in five years, I think the prediction is eight out of the top ten cryptocurrency now won't be there in two years. Right? There's going to be new currencies coming up and that, that wealth will be redistributed to those new people that are creating those other asset classes. So um, we're, we're a centralized system with a decentralized model. It's just we're not going to get to decentralization until certain things happen. And I think that's what's happening there, too. They were first movers. They jumped on. They made their bets. They got it right. Um, so it's okay how, what's the what's the percentage of the U.S. government? I think one percent of the population owns X amount of the of the dollars in the United States. I don't know what the metrics are, but I'm I'm curious who's doing currency research.
0: Actually, I looked a little bit before this call because I as soon as I asked you that question, I wanted to know the answer for the U.S. dollar. But it it look seventy percent of the U.S. currency, which is like one point two trillion dollars in uh, Federal Reserve notes, are held by the general public, but That's just the problem with that statistic is that's just actual dollars. Let's face it, debt is a currency now. So, and and there's you know who holds all the U.S. debt. So, I I don't know that uh, the public ownership of the actual Federal Reserve notes is the right metric. I'm obviously just a little bit out of my expertise area, but I think I'm directionally right on what I just said.
1: I'm sure you are, but look at this.
0: I was in the bank the other day,
1: and you don't want to tell your banker that. You, why do I need you? And in 10 years, you probably won't exist. Um, they don't sort of respond to that very well. But here's the fact: when we 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 made an honest mistake, we we put in our we put in the debit card in the ATM the wrong card, and we deposited checks in the wrong account, and then and so the checks were just mistakenly we put it in the wrong account. She even said those checks get digitized right away and get torn up. They, they, so 90% of the fiat currency is not even fiat currency. It's digital currency already. And so and so most people don't understand that the dollar bill, and that's, that's just for us to play money. Most of the currency is digital already. And so, so for us, again, we're just now seeing a different type of currency enter in the market that's 100% digital. Um, and it's not owned by dictatorships or governments. And so for us, again, it's just an exciting time because, again, if we have something of value and we can create a currency around it and securitize it, um, then we should be able to, to help set those rules or regulations around it. So again, I'm, I'm interested in studying, you know, currency, uh, more and how it affects our livelihood. But it, look, 95% of the people are followers, right? Nobody gives a crap. As long as they can get their, uh, how they can buy their goods and services in an efficient manner, they don't care what the underlying metrics are. Um, and we're just seeing the trash. But uh, for me, I'm moving fifty. Fifty uh, percent of our resources are in crypto now. Well, I um, think
0: I think what you said is true, provided that that your uh, your your currency maintains its value. I mean, people care quite a bit if they had a rapidly deflating currency, and, and the Venezuelans can tell you just about that right now. Um, but be that as it may, I think it's uh, it's obvious. This is the beginning stages. We're in the Wild West, so to speak. Uh, the market's dominated by, you know, a large number of uh, – a small number of users. Um, people still don't philosophically understand how the pieces uh, relate, as you can tell by my questions as one example. Um but where's your opinion on kind of where we are in terms of the the maturation of crypto and blockchain we have to be if, if everybody likes to use baseball analogies i can't imagine this is anything beyond the first inning if not maybe around a, a, an early strike zone <laughs> or or strike count what do you no,
1: think? i i personally think we're in the strongly into the second inning okay um only because again if you look at the charts of you know Bitcoin's been around since two thousand and nine, that's nine years ago, right? And then in, in crypto time, uh, one year is you know an accelerated time factor
0: because
1: mm-hmm. um, again we're not slowing down, we're speeding up, and we're twenty four seven, three sixty five. The stock markets don't close at four o'clock or four thirty on a Friday, mm-hmm. right? So and so for us, um, I think I think I think now people are starting to see that it's a good game. Um, and more people are starting to fill into the seats to watch the game, uh, and they're staying on the sidelines before they start participating in the game. Um, and so look, we can, we can see that by ETFs coming to market. We can see that by, uh, the talk of people like Jamie Dimon now retracting, right? And so we're starting to see that movement. Um, look, I've been in, the, I've been in with DSL.com, uh, in 1996, Uh, connectivity.com. So we've been in the the, the tech, the internet space since 1996 full time. And so to see that infrastructure move, you know, that took a long time to get connectivity into the marketplaces. Um, Now, when we start seeing this, we have the infrastructure in place to accelerate that farther, faster, deeper globally. And so, so whatever inning we're in, I think we're in such an accelerated time we're going to be rounding third coming home faster than what people can anticipate. Um, so I, I think we're farther along than what people anticipate.
0: So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, but at one point, the, the uh, development of both cryptocurrency and blockchain were incredibly interrelated. Um, have we reached the point now that blockchain essentially uh, – and cryptocurrency are on their own separate paths even though that one may end up being a tool for the other and vice versa
1: yeah you know crypto really came out with ethereum and smart contracts you know that's that's really who's leading the charge in the crypto space and they're they're with the ICOs initial coin offerings majority of those are all standardized tokens they're called the ERC20 token standard meaning they can communicate uh, meaning my dollar or my currency can communicate with your currency, uh, and so that that's the cryptocurrency again didn't take off until Ethereum smart contracts. Uh, and then you have some of the other ones like Dash and these other ones that are on the blockchain protocol. And so, so 100% that there's going to be a separation. Look, there's a ton of value being created, and it's you're going to be you have to be worried about being disrupted by a blockchain version of yourself because when you can truly start eliminating. the the fat inside your organization and i'm not saying attorneys are fat i'm not saying uh the banking system is fat i'm just saying transaction flow has a lot of hands in the cookie jar and so when you can start releasing those hands in the cookie jar and start creating more efficiencies that's what blockchain is doing and so again i don't need a banker to tell me my checks and the atm now are gone And I can't get them back because you're in my intermediary when I already have my Ether wallet that I can transact in. And so that I created myself. So I think what we're starting to see is the blockchain architecture, people are starting to understand. Because people start getting really too complex. What is a blockchain? It's not really a complex structure. Um, It's already been in existence for a long time. The consensus mechanisms on top of how information distributed are what is really evolving the proof of stake, the proof of work, proof of proof. That is what the interesting uh, technology that we're that we're starting on there. So you'll see you'll see blockchain implementing in all places and all things, and then you'll see the cryptocurrencies being vetted out, filtered out, finding their niche, and there will be a separation and a and a cohesion in. But I, I look at those as two separate things, personally.
0: I want to. We'll come back to Contrib in a minute. Your LinkedIn profile says that you help entrepreneurs and professionals increase asset value quickly by leveraging time compression tools and network effects to create valuable and distributed digital ventures in a stakeholder model, which is incredibly eloquent. But what, what exactly are, does that mean?
1: So we use VNOT, this is our technology that we created. um, That is a series of tools that has referrals.com that does referrals, eShares.com does cap table, eServices does our service market, social suite or social media, eSignatures.com, our legal contract management systems. So we built a tool set to say, when we can bring a digital asset like a URL into the system, we can wrap it in 60 seconds with all these tool sets to use. So now when you're trying to build a business and you're going to go spend a week trying to build a referral program or going to DocuSign to go do their cap table management system or go to your freelance marketplace to go get services, that's our time compression technology. We can do it in 60 seconds where it might take you six days. Uh, that's what we do. The extensions is our URLs that um, um, the company we, we work with manage those to sort of like um Let's say it's staffing.com and we're doing a partnership with a staffing company. We're able to use that entity to grab into those other partners and then use that as a different distribution model.
0: And when you say the we here, are you talking about E-Corp?
1: We, when I say we, we have a community of people that do stuff for us, contributors.
0: So I'll look at those as team members. So it's probably a natural segue to what is contrib.com.
1: So overall, in general, it's it's a business model where people can contribute something of value um, that can be pegged to the ownership that is contributing towards. Meaning, if Bob says, hey, Chad, you are managing startupdirectory.com. I have a directory of startup companies that would like to be listed on there. I think I can get you a 1,000 startups on startupdirectory.com. Great, Bob, let's do a transaction. Oh, we think that is worth $10,000. And let's say when you do that contribution, and you add those vendor, and let's say startup directory is worth $100,000, then you get your 10%. And it's all done on the blockchain. And so, and so Contrib is the model of, again, you contribute something of value. You can you be a stakeholdership in that asset.
0: So overall, it's a model, but it's really a business based on a model. Chad, you do so many things, and they're all so fascinating. It's it, uh, oftentimes uh, hard to understand where one ends and where another ends. Or, or is Contrib and E Corp totally separate, or is Contrib part of the E Corp world?
1: They're separate. Okay.
0: Um, they're, they're separate.
1: Again, we evolved. Um, we evolved and basically sold the company E Corp eight years ago. The evolve into something else. We just took it back because it was just the standpoint of again. The key to investing in crypto is not to necessarily invest in crypto, it's to, ingress, it's to invest in asset or utilities that are extracting asset out of underutilized assets. Meaning, I use the metaphor of fracking with oil. You might have land that has oil three miles down, but if you can't get to it, it doesn't matter. The oil isn't any good. But the land might be valuable because it's got oil underneath it. But until fracking comes along, you can not extract that value. Mm-hmm. Same thing what we say with utilities and cryptocurrencies and blockchain. You don't necessarily have to participate in that. If you see something or technology or a platform that's taking an underutilized asset, make it worth more money, go invest in that asset. What we're doing, what we've been working on is doing it around URLs and domain names. And so we built a technology, a business model, layering a digital currency around those. And that's what we're extracting. Where eCorp comes along with that is to say, hey, none of these business models or these entities fit our model right. It doesn't fit an S-corp. It doesn't fit an LLC. It doesn't fit a C-corp. It doesn't even fit a B-corp right now. Uh, and so what we're saying is we need a new business asset class structure to really optimize these assets. And that's what we're. That's what it's a three- to five-year vision to get a new business entity class in the, into the government where you can say, oh, elect as an E-corp. So that's an evolving entity. We're, Contrib is a collaborative commerce environment that we're trying to push forward to say, hey, instead of being an employee, employee, how how about it's a mutually beneficial relationship where everybody's aligned based on their value that they're inputting, not based on their title. So I don't want to judge a title. You basically, just because you're the CEO of a company doesn't mean you're smarter than anybody else in the company.
0: Yeah. So the VNOC, which is VNOC, right, that you mentioned earlier, is that just a set of tools that's used within Contrib? Yeah, it powers Contrib powers everything. So can you walk us through like a current kind of company that's being built and how people are contributing different things to get involved? Maybe something simple, but large enough that different people can get a sense of how they could participate in Contrib.
1: Yeah. um, So out of the 22,000 domains we manage, Mm -hmm. um, it's all powered by Contrib. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, because we have analytics in there. we We have all of our tool sets in there. Because what we looked at is we looked at who else is doing this um, and and can we use their platform? Because I'm on the mentality of lead, follow, or get out of the way. And so I'd much rather find a leader that, or a software program or a company that we can just license their technology and get to market quicker. I'm I'm okay with following that situation. But then we looked out there and said, well, you know what? Salesforce is good, but they don't do this. Or Zoho is good, but they don't do this. Or these other companies that are out there that, that we like, that could do some of the functions, but not a complete system. Because you got to understand, the big vision is creating fully autonomous companies by 2020. And so in order to get that, we needed to build our own operating system platform. So VNOC, again, is a series of currently 18 tool sets integrated into VNOC that we can pull levers on really quickly to get what we need. Um, And so some of the examples, if you go to uh, well, if you go to VNOC.com or you go to Contrib.com, there's ventures that are out there that people are participating and contributing towards. So right now we're really focused on Realty Chain, Mortgage Chain, Service Chain.com, mm-hmm. and we're and then and then some of our additional cores like PayDirect, eSignatures. Uh, so for us, it's really that's the key, right? Is where do we filter and focus and, and really start trying to deliver value on. So we have we have probably 30 different entities that we have contributors working towards right now.
0: And so depending on what the project or the company is that's being built, uh, different people contribute in different ways. And in exchange for those contributions, labor assets, et cetera, they're compensated either. So it sounded like in the example you used for me that, you know, someone would be compensated in a percentage of equity based on the relative value of the contribution. Are they ever paid uh, monetarily or in a cryptocurrency instead of, uh, you know, just having an equity percentage?
1: No, 50, 50, we have 26 different roles currently inside contrib. Mm -hmm. So you can sign up and be, you know, advisor, venture leader, accounting, you know, et cetera. So we, we we have 26 roles you can join. And then we prefer what our, what our preferred method of payment is 50, 50, 50 prisoners, 50% 50% fiat, 50% um, e-shares in the entity you're working towards. Because we, we use the model of the uh, Green Bay Packers. Uh, every seat is a technically a share in the Green Bay Packers. And the Green Bay Packers have a 20-year wait for tickets, meaning they put their tickets in the wills. right? That's the reason why you go to a game at 30 Belize and Green Bay. It's because you're an owner. And so we want to use that mentality to say, yeah, we can pay you $100 to do something in the freelance marketplace, But you have no upside value for you to deliver an awesome product or service to us, and we said we much rather say, okay, we'll we'll give you 50% of that in cash, and then 50% of that into the entity that it's going towards. And so we're able now to successfully do that in an efficient way, model based on the cap table being on the blockchain, and based on verifiable data, based on verifier contributions. So don't trust our accounting department and our legal department to worry to, to. to verify your ownership, it's all done online now. Very so cool. we, pre- we prefer a 50 50 because, again, we want you aligned to deliver a better product and service because if it does good, you get it on the upside potential.
0: So you've said you've identified 26 or so roles, and you said uh, how many people are currently contributing? 22,000? Is that the number I heard you say?
1: No, we manage 22,000
0: oh, assets. Sorry, sir. Uh, we
1: we have 760,000 signups, but we haven't curated it down because we haven't been able to execute the model on a global standard because of jurisdictions and uh, legal issues, right? And so this is where, um, as an entrepreneur, you want to drive forward faster, but then it's also, you have to be patient. And so for us, our only vision is this, when I talked to our attorney, Brett Britton, it's like, Brett, here's our vision, right? We, all we care about in this whole model we're trying to build is that 12-year-old from Miss Tambu that can add value to, let's say, studentnews.com. That person should be able to add value into an asset and be a stakeholder that in the most efficient, frictionless way possible. If we're a security token and we're a United States-based company, we have to do all the other policies and procedures, anti-money laundering, uh, know that customers, everything that might have to go into a $20 transaction. That's not an efficient model of value distribution. And so with that is is why we're saying that's our big vision, and then however we're gonna get to that vision is how we're gonna adapt and move our organizational structure and implementation. So out of those 760,000 people we have signed up, we'll eventually start curating those down to specialist, and we might be going with only 100 people per category.
0: And presumably, Chad, those would be specialists in 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 areas of the world whose legalities you understand and mesh well with the U.S. legal and accounting framework for the reasons you just described until that learning around that expands and people in other uh, areas can be added and be compliant, right?
1: Yeah, but why be U.S.-based? We're in a global economy uh, when Iowa man Gibraltar... Uh, Panama, these other countries now are embracing a fully all-digital organization, and they're understanding the global economy.
0: Well, I agree, uh, but doesn't this get back to my original question about currencies and politics? I understand the vision of how, if we could be all in a distributed virtual world, that your contrib model uh, uh, can be extended so, but there is a political overlay that currently limits that, and that's the tension, right? That's the issue you're facing now as you try to curate who can be added and when.
1: Yeah, that's the efficiency problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure.
1: Right. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's the absurd. politics
0: interfering with the theory of efficiency.
1: Right. Right. And then, and then, you know, trying to comply to co- contribute back in your community, right? Right. So, uh, as a you know, as a citizen, I'm okay. But when my when I'm getting my ass kicked by competition that's going around those you know, what do you do? How long do you sit on the sidelines and take it? Um, when somebody just can go to Gibraltar and then boom save 40% of their margins and be done with it. Right. And so, uh, so again, that's where the governments aren't keeping up with technology and, and, and models. And so for us, we're, we're, we're going to be in a position we already are in a position where we can go left or right. And so, uh, and so for us, that's the reason why the organization uh, that we're helping is global ventures. <laughs> so, So for us, again, it's, it's, there's a lot, a lot of movement going on. And I think it brings it back to the factor of, um, uh, value, right? And so Bitcoin is a, is becoming more and more prevalent as a store of value. Like gold, gold has a little bit of utility in manufacturing and stuff, but it's really been a storage of value. And that's kind of what Bitcoin is becoming. It's really a store of value, not really a transactional system. And so, and that, and that's what you're starting to see is again, that's a good storage of value, but who's creating value? Who's distributing it more efficiently? Who's managing it more efficiently? And so that's what you're starting to see these other currencies like Ethereum and Monero and these other ones, they're they're, they're finding their niches in the global marketplace really, really fast. And that's why they're 10, 20, $30 billion currencies pretty much out of the box. So again, for us, um, we're, we're basing our hedges and our bets on, Really creating something of value, not just moving it around, but but creating it, storing it, distributing it, and then doing it on virtual real estate, i.e. the URL, and then and then then using the model of a distributed ownership model in a streamlined, efficient manner. That's it in a nutshell. Um, and so, uh, being taken from the history of knowing where Bitcoin has come from and the other currencies that tried. And where the market is shifting to, we think we're in a really good position. But what we started seeing last week at the North American Bitcoin conference is there are still a ton of people from Miami to West Palm to Tampa that we need to be communicating with. And we need to start a local geo strategy to say, why, why do we not know you? And how can we work together, collaborate more to really create something um, never that can be replicated again? And distribute it in a circular value. Because you understand, we donate in our cap table, in our smart contracts, 2% of all of our tokens go back into impact programs. Entrepreneurs.org, training.org, interoperability.org, connectivity.org are the first four. And interoperability.org, first five. So we're donating those. And so that's a circular system that we designed a long time ago that we're executing on the blockchain using crypto and blockchain. And we need to go local. We need to go right back into our home from West Palm to Miami to Tampa. Cause we saw six people there. Like, how do we not know you? And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do your show. Cause it's now, we need to start taking care of our home local area to try and bring more compelling opportunities to the local area.
0: We'll come back to our ecosystem toward the end. And, and, and we have a national audience. And so there's probably some lessons there for others and other ecosystems, but uh, you're, I, I've listened to some of your other podcasts recently just to hear some other things that you're saying. You're doing an ICO or have you already done it?
1: Um, we did one, pulled
0: it back. Oh, really? And so yeah. this is a good, and I think that even makes it more fascinating. Tell the audience a little bit about the ICO process, what you learned, uh, things to be cautious about, why you pulled it back, etc. cetera. Uh, let's see. What what we learned. Why, what was the other two? Well, I'll keep asking until you don't write it down. So, well, so tell me, tell me, tell us, like, tell us about the the process and and uh, you know, versus you've raised money a lot of other ways more conventionally. What was, what was curious about this? Interesting about this? Good about this? Not so good about this? Well, the thing is,
1: it's hard to, You don't want to go by the metrics that common that people are using now, right? What's your revenue stream? What's your you know thing? We're in a speculative bubble right now. I mean, it's they're not even
0: looking at metrics like that.
1: They're looking, we're looking, we're dealing with majority of the people that are swing trading on momentum. So you're
0: you're talking about in the, the cryptocurrency space and in the ICO space. Yes.
1: Yeah. Majority of them are momentum trades right now.
0: It's all psychology driven.
1: Right. So, so, so when you present yourself, it's like sometimes that they don't care, right? Like they don't care that you actually have revenues or customers or systems or teams like that. Right. So, that's that's that was a little bit of the judgment uh, ju- uh, judgment that we had to do a uh, judgment. First of all, we had to decide do we want to do this right. And so um, we as again as running the Ethereum meetup group, following it since day one when they announced the North American Bitcoin conference, uh, knowing some of the team members behind that, we knew that we were betting on the right horse at the time using smart contracts. Mm-hmm. But then, then all of a sudden, boom, there's this hack that happens and they stole $150 million. And then there was a series of hacks that were stealing a lot of money. And so so number one, you can go, but you better get it right because your entire business might be done the next day if you don't securitize it out. And so, so going forward again, so a lot of it was researching and planning. So being early into a market is good in some situations, but being patient also helps because when we wrote our smart contracts, we didn't write it to where uh, what we ran into is we ran into three issues, meaning our smart contract wasn't really smart to where it didn't have adaptability. Um, and, and, and so sorry about that. And so, with that adaptability, we had to rewrite what is called a forking our smart contracts to bring in that um, intelligence into the smart contract. Mm-hmm. And then but there's a new protocol coming out called the ERC 223 that solves all these problems that we were dealing with. But it's six months away potentially, it could be a year away um, b- before getting in the market. And so you never know that's even gonna make it to market. So then we had to make a decision. Okay, do we do we wait for the ERC 223? Do we go to market? Try and you know do what we can to make it a protocol secure and everything else. We decided to go forward. Um, but then afterwards, the standardization. I lost 40 bucks yesterday talking to FAU classes. So we're, we're forming a team at FAU. My question was: does anybody know? the standard decibels of the Ethereum token now, the, the standard decibels is now dot 18, 18 decibels to the right. So our fiat currency is two decibels. And so and so uh, surprisingly said, some got it every time I lost my 40 bucks. Um, and so, but now there's a standard. Now when you start rewriting smart contracts, you want to be compliant with the standard of dot 18 decibels. So now we have to rewrite our smart contract again because now the new standards are out. So for us, it's kind of one of those ones. Patient plays out oftentimes if you design it right. Um, And that was one of what we learned as as part of the process. Uh, And then two, a lot of people are throwing words on their resumes that aren't really uh, what they mean. (laughs) Meaning we hired two or three smart contract uh, designers or developers that realized that they were full of shit. And that we said, you know, you're not a $100 an hour developer. You're a $25 an hour developer. Uh, because they threw blockchain and, and um, what's some other protocols, <laughs> you know. And so we learned our lesson of you have to vet your people out to really know that they're knowledgeable. And so there's because there's no training program. There's no certification program. Uh, <laughs> there's no standards, really. Right. So it's a, it's a, it really is the wild west of crypto. Uh, and so that's what we learned when you, when you're treading the the, the wild, wild west, you got to make sure you're really cautious and diligent and analyze who you're working with, uh, because you're kind of given the keys of the castle. So
0: is, is it safe to say, I mean, Chad, you're, uh, you've been in and around this space you said since 1999, uh, you know, you have a pretty esoteric knowledge of a lot of this stuff. You understand it philosophically, which admittedly, I'm sure our audience can tell I don't, uh, but if a guy like you is having a hard time raising money in, in an ICO uh, because of uh, some of the things you're mentioning, I guess it's safe to say that it's a pretty risky time to be out trying to raise money with ICOs. I, no, I think it's where it's all
1: going. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all going that way, right? When you can make your members and your owners uh, owners, that's a powerful business model. Um, and then when you can give a dollar or two, right, or 50 cents to a transaction, that's a powerful mechanism. So, the no, you know, we've been watching the South Florida companies raise. Uh, and so uh, we like them.
0: They're doing it right. Um, Kairos is doing an ICO, aren't they? I, I was on a panel with uh, Brian Burkeen recently, and I think he yeah. said they were at least contemplating it.
1: No, they did the pre-ICO. Um, they, they they got the pre-ICO done. They're going to go back out in April. Um, you got a couple other companies now. Look, it's just the future. You know, eight 8Base eight is doing it. Look, it's the future of financing. So so for us, though, what we don't understand is if it's your utility token the, and your token holders that really have no rights in the entity, that's, kinda, that's okay if people want to pay your money towards it. I, I think what we did is what we took a step back into is um, a lot of it's education. And so when you send somebody a safe agreement or a SAFT agreement or whatever you want to call it, the legal stuff, and they like don't understand it because you're going from an old world model to a new world model... You have to really educate the people um, on what this new classification is And so for us, we pulled it back for a couple of reasons. one, uh, we do want to stay in the United States and we do want to comply we do want to contribute and we do want to add value to the, to the system but but again at the same time our competition is going out and the momentum and the swings going right uh, not towards it um, and then two, new models and new platforms are coming at that might be a better fit for us. Um, and so it, it's, once you get momentum, you want to keep the momentum started and moving forward. And so for us, our story was still evolving over time and our deliverables were still evolving to where our team was so focused on an ICO, we weren't creating value for our company, which I've been trying to work on for 20 years. So I had to, I had to pull my team back to focus on really creating value not trying to create resources to get that value going. And so that's when we said, you know what, let's focus on moving our cap table to the blockchain and all transactions on the blockchain. And until we nailed that, which we did, we nailed it perfectly and we're doing it awesome, that, that created more, way more value. And then we showed it to some of these whales. Our platform is awesome. We're ready to bring it to the market now. And we think we can be a top 10 currency by 2020. That's our goal. And we think we've got the design and we're working towards that. And when we bring out what we're bringing out, we're going to, we're blowing people away right now. So for us, patience actually was what played on our, is playing in our favor.
0: So circling back to your kind of social good component and ecosystem development, uh, look, most of our audience isn't in South Florida and they're not as interested in our ecosystem as we are, but using, what you're trying to accomplish here as a model can you talk a little bit about what you're trying to do and why and how that is healthy for ecosystems to do
1: well in terms of the in terms of everybody's individual local ecosystem
0: well you know you said that you you've already you know you were recently at a conference you noticed that just in our ecosystem there were a lot of people that were here that you didn't know and that you know, you're trying to create mechanisms for better communication to tie the ecosystem together better. You also say that, you know, you should give back locally. You identified four or five uh, URLs that you have that 2% of all your profits go to. You know, you can talk about the South Florida ecosystem, but really it's a model for what people can be doing elsewhere. What is it that, uh, you You know, when you say you're trying to accomplish those things, tell, talk a little bit more about, what needs to be done and how you're trying to make it happen.
1: Yeah, it, it starts back in basically, I think, 1999. We started a thing called the Community Commerce System. And we said, okay, well, we're going to donate DSL lines to people to get connectivity in a local area, shitty town out east, um, 40% high school dropout rate. And the Community Commerce System was, how do we how do we first get the connectivity in the marketplace, find the local community, and really start bringing where commerce and, and, and the system can be created So that over 20 years has kind of been on the back of my mind. And so with that, again, we found one of the people here in Delray that's trying to do an ecosystem co-op, right? Or an environmentally friendly co-op. And we were managing solar.com, wind.com, farm.com, green.org. And these are assets that we had that we weren't really able to extract the value. And then we had somebody 10 minutes down the road from me that I can see the whites of their eyes. and and build a relationship around to really leverage those assets more effectively and then create that value and then then redistribute that value out. And so the difference when we formed Bidtelect back in 2010 was my partner want everybody local and I'm okay with distributed uh, uh, teams. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, and so that, you know, I understand the benefits of being local and having everybody in an office and I understand the benefits of everybody being around the globe. And so, there's benefits to both. And so what we want to do is we want to extract that um, uh, and utilize it more effectively. I'm going to an ETH Denver hackathon next week or two weeks. Right. And so you can see where ecosystems like Boulder and Denver and even Silicon Valley, right? Silicon Valley has an amazing ecosystem because you know what they have? They have that nucleus is spinning so far and so wide. And it's like, What they do is they go out and they bring them back into Silicon Valley, right? Come to the best city in America to go get that energy. And so the power of energy, a local energy is really powerful if you can get it right physically. And so, and so companies like Silicon Valley have that nucleus spinning so far so fast. And I think South Florida has the ingredients to get that spin moving farther, faster, wider. It's just not there yet. And so, and so, put some more flame onto the fire. And I think we can get that moving and then we can add a lot of value for South Florida. And then I think other cities are trying to do that with co-working spaces, with technology grants, right? And then, and they're trying to form hubs because those hubs formed energy and those energy forms momentum and that momentum form creates opportunity and that opportunity, you know, so that right there is where we're saying, you know what, we want to focus on Indiana and South Florida, because if we nail this right, we can replicate this business model everywhere else. One of my buddies runs, um, he's part of the United Nations, Sergio de Cordova, and he runs a thing called One for All out of the United Nations. And so they have 18 or 17 different programs that they're going around the world that are contributing, they're, they're trying to develop. And so you can see where we want to be able to take our orgs anywhere around the world to help ecosystems create this project that we're working on. And so for us, we have to really build it here in our own ecosystem to learn and design it and create it and modify it before we can start ejecting it to these other areas. So that's it. And that's really what our focus is with entrepreneurs.org, training.org, interoperability.org, et cetera.
0: Well, I've known you for about, I guess, six or seven years now, Chad, and you've always been super involved in our ecosystem. You've been very supportive of the organizations I've been involved in, and you've always been supportive of me. and you're a, one of many reasons why our, our ecosystem here has uh, developed as rapidly as it, it as it has, uh, at least in the s- seven years I've lived in South Florida. The, the change in the ecosystem here is amazing, and it probably is to uh, some of our listeners and, and our audience in other cities as well. We could do a whole show on ecosystem development and probably will soon. Chad, you've got a really lively mind. My challenge in doing the show today was uh, – trying to uh, get my little mind around some basic questions to let you uh, have rain to talk about what you wanted to talk about. And uh, I appreciate you dealing with the disparity in our two, <laughs> the gap of our knowledge between the cryptocurrency and blockchain between the two of us is probably apparent. You have a lot to offer, and I'm sure our audience has enjoyed uh, getting to know you better and learning more about what you're doing. If, if they wanted to know you even better, how do people get in touch with you, Chad?
1: get In touch with me, I mean, just chat at e corp or excuse me, chat at contrib.com, chat at e corp.com. That's ping me an email. I'm pretty, pretty active, pretty, pretty out there.
0: And contrib, which which is the best place to learn more about what you're doing, you know, rather than just contacting you directly? Is it contrib.com?
1: Yeah, or you can go to crypto.contrib.com.
0: You know, in that model, too, we don't,
1: it's, it really is a distributed organization. Meaning I'm 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 one of the lead I'm a lead contributor. I don't we don't have titles like Chiefs, right? We don't have chief CEO, Chief SOO, because again, uh, our vision with that is to say, I don't care if you're a twelve year old from Miss Tamboo, if you can add value, add value based on your reputation will be built on your value creation, not based on your title. And so again, that's that's kind of something really important to us to say, you know, we wanna we wanna be open and so you can find us at crypto and you can um, Look at our platform at VNOC.com. And so I think those are the two ways. I'm not really big on social blogging, posting, stuff like that. We're we're, we're heads down.
0: (laughs) You certainly are. You have a lot of irons in the fire. Chad, you've been a fascinating guest, as I knew you would be. And uh, on behalf of our audience, I want to thank you for uh, spending time with us today. Thanks so much.
1: Hey, Bob. Thanks a lot for your time.